Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Right now, joining us, Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. He's a key member of both the Foreign Relations and Homeland Security Committees. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Let me get right to the question. Do you believe that uh, President Trump's meeting with, uh, with Putin made America safer? You know, I think engagement with our adversaries, uh, conversation with our adversaries is a good idea. Even in the height of the Cold War, maybe at the lowest ebb when we were in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis, I think it was a good thing that Kennedy had a direct line to Khrushchev. I think it was a good thing that we continued to have ambassadors to Russia, even when we uh, really objected greatly to what was going on, even during Stalin's regime. So I think that it is a good idea to have engagement, and I think that what is lost in this is that I think there's a bit of Trump derangement syndrome. I think there are people who hate the president so much that this could have easily been President Obama early in his first uh, administration setting the reset button and trying to have better relations with Russia. And uh, I think it's lost on people that they are a nuclear power, they have influence in Syria, they're in close proximity to our troops in Syria. They are close to the peninsula of, of North Korea and they may have some influence that could help us there. The other thing that's lost, and people forget this completely, the Russians tried to help us stop the Boston Marathon bombing. We actually did help them stop a terrorist attack in St. Petersburg because we were but, communicating and exchanging information. All those things are good, but Senator, and because people hate Trump so much, all of that's being lost. Yeah, I have to agree with them. That was Rand Paul speaking uh, to Wolf Blitzer on CNN, and uh, we, we clipped out the bits where they were just combatively interrupting wolf was interrupting senator paul senator paul was trying to get his statements out uh there's a a real animus there not not between the two of them they've actually known each other for for decade over a decade and they've had so many interviews together uh Rand paul actually rebuked him during the interview and said you know you're usually better than this with the interviews you usually don't interrupt and he really took offense to the rudeness that was on display but Wolf Blitzer wasn't there for Rand Paul. He was there to get points out while Rand Paul was listening so that he could use that later to say, look, I told the Republicans, you know, that Putin is a bad actor. He's doing this. He's doing that. It's just hypocritical. So welcome to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Great to be with you today. We have a jam-packed show. We're going to be speaking with Vince Patton in the next segment. He's a Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, retired, and National Commander and President for the Non-Commissioned Officers Association. He's going to come on and talk to us about this African-American Civil War Memorial and the t museum's 20th anniversary. So kind of a feel-good segment, some a little bit of a break from the, the toughness that we're experiencing on the foreign policy uh, front. And then today we're going to get into... So President Putin had a few things to say to the media, and he did some interviews. Chris Wallace uh, got to ask him some very pointed questions. And I've chosen out a little bit of that to discuss here on the show today because this is a complex situation. It's just not enough to scream Russians bad, Russians evil, you know, Putin devil, and then, you know, stomp our feet and, and make angry faces. We really have to understand the dynamic here. There is no world in which the United States cannot interact with Russia. The better the relations in the face of their duplicitous behavior, Russians are not going to suddenly become choir boys and choir girls and start suddenly cooperating with us and stop their espionage efforts and everything else that they engage in just because we're America or, you know, they, they fully understand who we are and we understand who they are. I think the flub up in the media right now is, is giving off an aura of uh, immaturity and ignorance on behalf of Americans. And I don't believe Americans are ignorant. And I don't believe we're immature in understanding that you can be in a friendly posture and try to work together on things where you can find common ground while acknowledging that if there were ever a time where we didn't have a military or NATO didn't exist, that Russia would be riding through, you know, indiscriminately annexing countries and doing what they do. There, there's, and that we would not. <laughs> there, there's a world in which we can acknowledge those things and they can exist at the same time. I think when we have the conversations at that level, then we can account for what appear to be odd behaviors on behalf of our president. 
I said yesterday, we will come to understand more as more is exposed about what they discussed. And we do know more today. We, we actually know more about what was uh, a lot of the, the, they had to work through a number of different issues in their conversation. And there have been times where the Russians have actually worked to help us. Um, one of those times that we don't talk about often is when we had the Boston bombings. The Russians had some intel on that and they shared it. They were trying to prevent the Boston bombing from actually happening. And then they helped with the investigation afterwards. We actually thwarted a terror attack in their country. We offered the intel that we had and they happily received it and thanked us for it. So there have been times where we've been together and there will be times in the future where we are together and and an opportunity will present itself for America to help Russia or for Russia to help America. And we will do so. That doesn't mean that what he calls bad actors in his country won't still be hacking and, and launching cyber attacks. But there was a point made about that. And it's it's a brief one. The fact is, Russia spends 70 billion a year on defense spending. And that's their max. That's them, you know, pilfering from other other pots to make sure they they can do that. We spend 700 billion. (laughs) So there is no comparison. Culturally, they have a beautiful culture. um, It's but it's not it doesn't compare to our own. And that's with all of our negative parts of our culture. That's the whole kit and caboodle. So that includes all the things that we constantly rail against here on this program, the pornography, the moral degradation, all of those things included. We, our culture outpaces theirs. The proof is that people aren't killing themselves to immigrate to Russia. They are killing themselves to immigrate here. On every metric, the United States outpaces and outclasses Russia. There is one area where they seem to be extraordinarily proficient and work very hard, and that is cyber attacks. They're great at it, and they know it, and so it's their strong suit. They don't just do it to America. They also attack in the cyber realm other foreign countries. That It's it's a part of what they consider to be their aggressive posture. They use that to make up for areas that they are lacking in, such as their defense spending, such as... There are other efforts. So we know this, right? We, we know and understand this. But it doesn't sound like the media knows and understands this. They also have a distinct ability, our national media, to be so upset when Donald Trump doesn't appear to be bullying President Trump or President Putin, Trump not bullying Putin. But when you look at their same behavior when President Obama was talking to Sergey Kislyak and said, uh, after my election, I'll be a lot more flexible. They just, they acted like that hot mic never happened. They didn't care that, yes, there are photographs of President Obama shaking hands with President Putin and they're shaking hands and Obama's considerably taller than Putin and he's glaring down at him while they shake hands. There are other times they're seated on a stage together in a Q&A type forum, and Obama and Putin laugh and then give each other the, you know, bro handshake where they pull their arms back and then kind of go in fast for a handshake and then heartily shake and laugh while they're shaking. It, was that a problem? Was that legitimizing a dictator? I can tell you this. You know what's one thing a dictator doesn't need? To be legitimized. If you're a dictator and a former KGB head and a lifelong spy and the head of Russia... you know, lifetime Russian head. Yeah, they have elections, but we all know who it's going to be. If you have a reputation for people dying when they oppose you in your own country, for people dying when they oppose you in other foreign countries, if you have a reputation for horrible things happening to people who don't like you, yet you're, you know, you you routinely deny it and say that crime is a problem in all nations, not just, uh, you know, America, not just Russia. Mm, It's not about legitimizing. Look, Putin is a legitimate leader of Russia, and we have a geopolitical relationship with the nation state of Russia. We trade with them and we work in concert with them when it is beneficial to both parties and an agreement can be reached. So there's no legitimizing here. Now, I understand the concern with Kim Jong-un, who doesn't have an international presence, who doesn't have a currency that's traded on the open market, who doesn't have a country that has legitimate exports, that is, you know, basically it's a tiny little 
um, it's not just a dictatorship in the sense that it's it's run by a single person. It's like a tiny, just barely above water type of a, a country. I understand people talking about legitimizing Kim Jong-un, not wanting to legitimize him, not wanting to make him appear stronger than he is. It is ridiculous to try to act as if a meeting between the leader of the United States and the leader of Russia legitimizes anything. Putin's already legitimate. His country is already in relationship with China and Iran and Syria. His military operates around the globe. He has submarines and uh, you know, Navy vessels off both of our coasts, just outside of our line where we own the water and international water becomes, you know, the, the line between those two points. He has uh, that. This is not someone who's worried about being legitimized or delegitimized by the president of the United States. So that kind of conversation is it's really it's beneath us. We have to understand who we're talking about here. It's not that I respect Putin or I think he's a wonderful person or I want to have coffee with him. It's that we have to acknowledge who he is and what his country represents and the relationship between our two countries. So if that's the case, then it makes complete and utter sense that after they've had a two hour meeting and possibly come to some agreements that Donald Trump wouldn't come out and basically, you know, be rude or take the opportunity to smack him around verbally. And Putin makes the same point. We're going to listen to some audio of Putin. Obviously, he, he speaks through the translator. And he says, you know, we, we don't go, we don't meet with, with foreign leaders to be rude. It's, his responses to the questions are so kind of commonsensical. It's like, oh, you know, you almost feel like he's, he's kind of sighing and going, oh, really? That's what you're asking me? And some of it, he's out and out lying. You can tell that. But the exasperation belies his his ability to basically comprehend why our media is so all up in arms. It's the open hatred of Donald Trump. And so how do you troll that? How do you troll a media that openly hates Donald Trump and thinks that he colluded with Russians, which clearly he did not do, to be elected? Well, you tell that media that you wanted Donald Trump to be elected, too. I mean, that was so like that was his moment where and it just flew right over the heads of the media. He's trolling us. He said he wanted Donald Trump to win because Donald Trump said he wanted to normalize relations with Russia between the United States and Russia. They should have immediately been like, oh, we're we're overplaying our hand here. We have given him way too much credit. Uh, Yeah, they did cyber attacks, but it didn't impact the election. The collusion is a joke. We got to find something else to run on. This guy's trolling us. He's making us look silly but they didn't get it because when you have trump derangement syndrome you literally cannot think so here's Rand paul and he's finishing up about this this idea that he's put forward that people are losing the big picture it's number four you're usually better than this wolf at doing an interview you need to allow the respondent to respond it does matter who was in charge of the intelligence. It does matter because they started up some of this and ginned up this whole thing that have gone after the president saying he's committed collusion with Russia. No evidence of that, and it continues to go on. Who are the people that started this? James Clapper, who lied to the Senate, said they weren't collecting our information, and yet they were collecting all of our information and housing it in Utah. John Brennan has mm-hmm. now accused, John, let me finish. John Brennan has now accused the president of treason. This is John Brennan who voted for the Communist Party when he was a young man. John Brennan now thinks he's holier than everybody else. But these people had the power to collect every American's information. And these are the people that I am concerned use their bias against President Trump. And absolutely, I'm with the president on this. The intelligence community was full of biased people, including Peter Strzok, McCabe, and dozens of others. And so what can we draw from that? Not everybody's picking up what the U.S. media is putting down about this horrifying meeting between Donald Trump and President Putin. Everyone didn't see it the way the U.S. media saw it. I think there were some low points, obviously. There were some high points. Um, The president says he accepts the U.S. intelligence agency's conclusions on Russian meddling. What more can we do? We'll be back with more right after these messages. Find us at AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and you can call in at 866-963-2037. We'll be right back.
You know, people often ask me, Tim, what's your favorite part of the Holy Land Tour? I've been leading Holy Land Tours for many years now. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, I learned how to lead these Israel tours from my dad, who started doing them in the 60s. And then he taught me in the 80s and 90s. And now my wife, Allison, and I lead these tours annually to Israel. And we love going because we love seeing people's eyes when they see things such as the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River and the Garden Tomb and the Wailing Wall. See all these things for the first time and maybe the last time in many folks' lives because this is a bucket list trip. We're going to be going in March. If you want a brochure sent to your mailbox, give us a call at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and we'll send you a brochure. If you want to go to the website, everything's there twholyland.com twholyland.com Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I have a friend who told one of his children, I would rather you had not been born than to see you go to hell. Karen and I have sat with friends who have wept over children who have rejected the faith. I can't think of anything more discouraging than to have your children reject the faith. Some people think, All I have to do is get my kid to attend a Christian school and go to a good youth group and stay in a good environment and filter what they watch on TV and surf the internet, and that means they'll turn out fine. Not necessarily true. 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 30 and 32 remind us of this. Listen to these words beginning in verse 30. Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in place of his father. Now verse 32. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now his immediate dad, Josiah, was a godly man. In fact, he was the one God had used to usher in tremendous reform and revival. But Junior didn't take after his dad. He didn't follow his lesson. Notice, he did wrong because it was his choice. I think we need to take it easy sometimes on parents of prodigal kids. It may not have to do with their parenting at all. It may just be the pull of evil in the child's life. Well, here's what I want you to remember and do today. Don't make assumptions about the spiritual lives of your children. Place them in God's hand and ask God to do a deep work in their lives, causing them to embrace the faith for themselves. Crawford Loritz is senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, we have a lot to cover, and I just want to give an update. I know uh, this is breaking news. The president had a, a pool spray after he met with members of Congress this afternoon. And according to the White House press corps, the quotes from the president are, I have full faith in our intelligence agencies. I accept our intelligence community conclusion that Russia's meddling in 2016's election took place. And Then he added, there was no collusion. On the 2018 midterms, the president says we are doing everything in our power to prevent Russian interference in 2018. And he says that President Obama was given information just prior to the election, the last election that occurred in 2016, and they decided not to do anything about it. The reason they decided not to do that was pretty obvious because they thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. He also said the Obama administration buried information on Russian meddling. So there are a few other comments, but I want to get to our guests for this segment. This is breaking news. Uh, I just received it in my email box three minutes ago. So this is a meeting that just concluded between uh, congressional Republicans who were scheduled to meet with President Trump today well well in advance of, of his trip overseas. And so he's had this meeting with them, and now he's given some information. Also spotted at the pool spray were John Kelly, Ivanka Trump, Bill Shine, John Bolton, Mike Pence, and Steve McNuchin. So they were also in attendance. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I'll update you as things come in uh, from the White House. But that is the breaking news right now, fresh from White House Press Corps. So it's my pleasure to welcome Vince Patton. He's a Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, retired, National Commander and President of the Non-Commissioned Officers Association, Vince, thank you for joining the show today, sir. Thank you, Stacey, for having me. Greatly appreciate it. 
It's great to speak to you and wonderful to speak to a former NCO. My father was in the Army on active duty, and he was an NCO as well. So, All right. <laughs> Are they saying the Army? Hula. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I would love to talk about the African-American Civil War Memorial. Um, it, it's it, it's nice to have a good news segment to talk about something positive. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. And I'm glad that, as you said, it's something good to talk about. The, the, uh, the African-American uh, Civil War Memorial and Museum, which is in Washington, D.C., uh, located in what is called the Shaw section of Washington, D.C., and the interest of that is that uh, uh, Colonel Shaw was uh, a Civil War uh, officer, and uh, he led uh, the United States Colored Troops and was very prominent in the, uh, in the creation of uh, Howard University. So it was very significant that, that they put that museum uh, in the neighborhood that was named after him. Uh, but uh, uh, this particular uh, museum and memorial, I think, is, has been a best-kept secret for 20 years in the sense of that uh, we have a lot of monuments and museums and so forth that are all over the country as well as in the Washington, D.C. area. But, but nothing really told the story that has been uh, somewhat uh, quiet in regards to uh, African Americans who fought in the Civil War. And, and they, fought, they fought on both sides. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, uh, more detailed information provided from African Americans who were on the Union side because they were registered and so forth. And there's very little to nothing other than the fact just uh, uh, some known information that there were African Americans that fought uh, with the Confederates, although most of it was determined that they were sort of ordered to uh, because of the slavery. But there's no real documentation on that. Uh, but this this particular memorial, uh, which I visit frequently, uh, because uh, for me, as an African American who reached the highest enlisted rating uh, in the United States military as the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, uh, and the first African American to reach that for my particular service, uh, it's it's just really a chilling, wonderful event to go and and to just pause and not just look at the statue, but the 209,145 names that are etched on uh, that entire memorial of, uh, of, of, of black troops who served during a time when they were not defined as, as citizens until uh, the passing of the 14th Amendment, which was well after uh, the, the Civil War. So it, it's very important to, uh, that we celebrate this particular event because it's coming up on the 20th anniversary starting tomorrow, of, of, uh, of the dedication of this memorial, uh, the hard work that many uh, men and women have put into uh, putting this particular memorial together and uh, honoring uh, those 209-plus thousand uh, African-American troops who served uh, with the Union Army. It's pretty amazing, and, and you're right. It's not something that people know about. So wh- where exactly is this memorial located? Pretty easy to find. It's uh, it's at the corner of Vermont and U Street Northwest. In fact, it's right at a metro stop. When you, uh, I forgot what color line that is, uh, but uh, if you take the metro stop that takes you to U Street, you come off the elevator and it's staring right in front of you. It's where the the memorial is, and it directly across the street from the memorial is the museum. Okay, and then the museum, we're, we're talking about downtown D.C., near the other major national monuments. Am I right? Uh, not too far from downtown. It's not really considered downtown. They, they, they refer to that as the U Street Corridor, but it's, it's probably no more than a mile or so from uh, downtown area, but it's not very far. Okay, so it's, it's within, if you're there, you can actually see in the distance the other monuments. Uh, not exactly. You, you can walk to the other, uh, you know, I guess it's about a mile away, but, but you can't really see much, uh, from where that location is by the buildings that are in the way, of course. But, uh, but so as the crow flies, it's, uh, it, it's, it's no better than a mile away. Which for tourists in Washington, D.C., a mile is well within the distance that you're going to traverse going to, to all of the different monuments and the Smithsonian museums, et cetera, et cetera. So exactly. this is within the purview of, of when you're touring Washington, D.C., you can definitely see it. And I've been there so many times because my parents live in Springfield. And so I've, I'm surprised I've not been there before. I may have as a child and I don't remember it, but as, as 
an adult, I don't think we've ever been. I know we haven't taken our kids, so that has to be on our list for, for visiting. So what's the museum like? What, what, what will we find if we decide to, to see the statue and then go into the museum? What will we find there? Well, the museum has uh, a lot of factual information about uh, African Americans and how they served in the, in the war. There are some, uh, some old documents that uh, were retrieved through the National Archives uh, that, that talk specifically about uh, troops and uh, the types of units and what they serve. Uh, there are some uh, reenactors, uh, uh, African-American uh, troop reenactors who come and talk about, uh, they, they're in character and they talk about their life that, uh, as they served in, uh, during the war and, and so forth and what they had to deal with and uh, the, uh, uh, the challenges that they faced because of, uh, of being black and, 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 and fighting in a war as well as being black fighting in a war and getting paid less than what the uh, the white soldiers were getting paid. So uh, it, it's a it's a wonderful experience. It's not a very big museum. Uh, the museum actually uh, was uh, created from an old uh, uh, grade school uh, that was built in the late 1800s, and they transformed that into the museum. Uh, but it's a it's a great uh, learning experience type place to go to. I think it's worth it because so a lot of people look at that and listen to what you've described and they'll say, oh, you know, it's a small museum. Oh, it, it highlights how they were paid less. Oh, it, you know, I see it as a testimony to the strength of a people who didn't have all that they felt they deserved in the in the way of equality, but they fought for it in the hopes of getting it. So they were looking to the future for what might be. And they did that anyway. And so I think it's a, it's a very strong um, representation of, of a part of our history that we should be happy to learn about and to incorporate into what we know about everything, the good and the bad about America, that brings us to today where we are also just blessed to take part in the liberty that we have here in America. Well, that's absolutely correct. And as, as you know, I, I often say this whenever I talk about the museum that, you know, I, I go there with the feeling and the sense that I have stood on the shoulders of giants. As I said, I stood 30 years in the U.S. Coast Guard. And, uh, and, and, and to know that uh, the legacy of people before me who did things because of what they believed and took aside from any of the other uh, concerns and animosities that they had but fought for the strength of freedom and to look at the future of freedom that's very, very important, and it's a, it's a very, very powerful uh, a place to go into, particularly someone like me or anyone with server, as you mentioned about your father and so forth, is that you, you can't help but think uh, back about that particular area, not just in terms of what it was, but how far we have come. And if it wasn't for people who took those sacrifices to make that happen, goodness, you know, we, we, we have to embrace our history, heritage, and traditions for where we are today and look back at those people who helped make it possible. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to thank you, not just for your service, but also for the work that you've done uh, promoting the museum and getting this information out there. I think it's valuable for us to know as much as we can about our history and to appreciate it from the perspective of you know, as you said, standing on the shoulders of giants. So many people in this country who've gone before us regardless of their racial background, who have provided us with the opportunity to live here today as we do, uh, flaws and all, warts and all, um, we wouldn't want to be in any other country. And America, is it's indeed a privilege to be a citizen of this nation and also to get to be here with other Americans uh, living the way that we do. It's, it's a blessing. Amen. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining today, Vince. Uh, Master okay. Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, retired National Commander and President of the NCO Association. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Speak to you again soon. So I, I, I love those. Like, this is a, a good time for us to just stop and take stock. Imagine if you were born and your first, uh, the first time you said yes, you said da instead of yes. That would be you being born into the nation state of Russia. And no offense to Russians. Obviously, they love their country. They have a beautiful country. I've been to Russia before um, in high school. I got to visit. And Moscow is a glorious city. It's beautiful. And the, the Russian people are kind and they're generous and, and really they're good people. But I'd rather be an American. 
blessed to be an American. And so we, you know, it's, it's not just this one museum, although he's, he's really done a lot of work to promote this museum and to get the information out there. And I do want to visit it myself with my husband and our family. Um, but there's, there's so much for us to learn about our country and to just take stock and to be grateful. And so it was really nice to have that uh, kind of good, good news and information for today's show. Add a few questions about um, the pool spray. Like, first of all, what is a pool spray? A pool spray is an impromptu gathering with the White House press corps and a member of the uh, administration. So they have pool sprays on Air Force One where the there are actual assigned seats on Air Force One. And so the press corps sits together in the section of the plane that's designated for them. And when one of the uh, administration officials or the president doesn't happen often with the president, usually it's Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Mr. Gidley, they'll just go to uh, the back of the plane and they'll say, hey, um, do you have any questions for me? Or, hey, the president just wanted me to share with you, you know, X and they'll share it. And so that's what a pool spray is. A pool spray is basically the White House press corps gets to ask some questions of someone in the uh, the administration. And if this can happen anywhere, anywhere the press corps is, someone can approach them who's from the administration and it's a pool spray. So that's what happened after this meeting with the members of Congress. And after 15 minutes, the president began to speak. I gave you some of the quotes, but we had some additional questions about whether or not he said, I misspoke. I don't believe that's what he said. I, in fact, I have the quotes here and I'll share them with you. When he was speaking on the topic of the relationship with Russia and his meeting with President Putin. The quotes from him on that were, he talked about getting along with Russia as a positive thing. Here's the quote. I enter the meeting with a firm conviction that diplomacy and engagement is better than hostility and conflict. They talked about problems in the Middle East, the civil war in Syria, the destabilizing activities in Iran, and mentioned that Iran is not the same country that it was five months ago. These are some of the things that Putin and Trump discussed. Russia and Putin agree that they want to keep nuclear weapons out of North Korea. And he mentioned that having a dialogue with Russia is a good thing. That, that's President Trump. So what, what do we take from this? Well, it's kind of as we thought it was. They were in there discussing these thorny really difficult world issues. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show and you've heard some of the experts we've had come on the program who've talked about our role in the Middle East and how there are so many different factions of people in the Middle East who have something that they want, that they're working towards, and they have these competing interests because they practice different forms of Islam or how difficult it has been decade after decade, successive pregnancy, uh, presidencies from different administrations, different, different sides of the political aisle, and no one has been successful in dealing with the Kim Jong-un regime, the, the, the dad, the granddad, now the son. None of them have been easy to deal with. None of them have been forthcoming. None of them have been honest. And yet we still have gone on and done as much as we could. And on and on it goes. There are so many things going on around the world that are difficult that President Putin and President Trump would want to discuss. Does that change who President Putin is or who Russia is or what their aims are? No, it just means they sat down and discussed it to try to find some common ground where they could agree so that they could smooth the relationship. And it takes our troops and assets in areas, operational theaters where we operate and Russia operates with their troops. It, it calms those relations down as well. I mean, if you're interested in what we're doing in, the, in Syria with the Russian mercenaries, just Google General Mattis, Russian missionaries, and listen to him talk about how we are dispatching those guys into the next life, into the afterlife, with prejudice, hundreds at a time, not just with drone attacks, but with live artillery and our actual troops. I'm not saying that because that excuses anything, but this is not just some rose parade where we just go in and pick out which float we like and then agree on that and then move on. There's a lot at stake here. We need to give the president credit where it's due. And I mean, I'm, I'm just hoping for more clarification on some of his comments that I found a little bit unsettling. But all in all, it sounds like it was a successful meeting. So when we get back, we'll have more show for you. Keep it here. 
This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Adopting children has made Psalm 139 come alive to Tony and me. Verses 15 and 16 say, You watched me as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. We've kept those verses in our heart for many years. We know God has created all of our children for His glory and for them to be a part of our family. And God knew before they were born that He would lend them to us to love and care for them here on earth. If you're considering adopting a child, read Psalm 139 and ask God to show you His plan. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Coming next week on The Dwelling Place, Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is. That's next week on The Dwelling Place. Here's Steve Tiber. Eight Days of Hope started after Hurricane Katrina, helping people in Bay St. Louis, Waveland, Mississippi, rebuild their homes back in 2005. Since then, this faith-based ministry has gone nationwide, and we've helped out dozens of cities, dozens of areas of the country after hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, or even snowstorms. And now you get a chance to be a difference maker. Eight Days of Hope 16. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus down in Houston from October 13th to October 20th. You can come for as little as three days or stay all eight days. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professional and people like me who are less skilled and just want to give back. For more information, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Click on the event, 8 Days of Hope 16. Read the FAQs and learn more about how you can make a difference with 8 Days of Hope. Learn more and sign up to be a part of 8 Days of Hope 16 in Houston, Texas at 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. I thought the news conference today, my opinion was a bit curious because President Trump spent more time criticizing the Democrats and asking about the Democratic server than he did in criticizing Russia and asking about the GRU. There are many theories in the United States about why President Trump is so reluctant to criticize you, and I'd like to ask you about a couple of them. One is that you have something on him, compromise. The other is that as a skilled politician and a former KGB officer, you know how to play him. You use phrases like fake news and deep state. And my question is, do you find President Trump easy to deal with? Well, the first point I'm about to make is why did we take talk about like the polite people? Why should I? this come as a surprise? Was it worth going all the way to Helsinki, going through the Atlantic to just insult one another? And well, it's it's not exactly the diplomatic standard in the world. There's no need to go and meet personally if you just wanted to insult another person. We met to try to find a way for improving our relationship and not aggravating it or destroying it completely. (laughs) So he had to give a little lesson in, you know, diplomacy. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, Call lines are open at 866-963-2037. He's actually like, (laughs) he's like, so why would I fly all that way? all the way around the Atlantic and, you know, it was a long trip for me and then I'm going to just go there and be rude. 
In other words, I can be rude from a distance. Being rude does not require my physical presence. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, now, obviously, it comes through the translator. And so I have my own little tinfoil hat thing about Putin that because he understands English, he actually understands it. And you can tell that he understands it because when he's in a meeting, uh, the press conference they had together, whenever he's sitting and listening to questions, he clearly comprehends the answer to the, the, the question. He, he understands English. He may not have perfect 100% you know, uh, understanding of English, but he has a really good grip on English, but he doesn't speak it. I don't believe that's because he can't speak English or he lacks the ability. I believe that he, as the head of Russia and a former KGB agent, shows us disdain by refusing to speak English because, you know, American English is the uh, business standard. Most nations, the people speak their home tongue, their, their native tongue, and then they, they learn English in, in grade school. They learn it because the world is run in English, basically. And to be a developed nation and to be considered cosmopolitan and really up to date and modern, you want to speak your own language and English. And then, of course, Portuguese or perhaps French. Um, but definitely English. And so an acknowledgement of that for Putin is to say, yeah, but I don't speak English. <laughs> so, you know, I know you're not going to learn Russian as an American, and I'm definitely not going to learn English. I'm not going to speak it to you. I may even have a few English words in my, you know, in my in my little toolbox. I may be able to curse people out in English, but I'm not going to speak any English to you. I'm not going to speak English on English television. I'm not going to validate you in that way. I'm Putin. That's what I think his thing is about not because he, he obviously understands it. He nods while people are speaking English like, yeah, yeah, I heard what you said. He gets it. So he really he dealt out some pretty harsh rebukes of our media for the questions that they ask. And, and you all know I, I greatly respect Chris Wallace. I've interviewed him before. He is an outstanding journalist. I don't always agree with him, but he is outstanding. And so it was not a shock to me that he was the one who garnered the, the interview with, with uh, President Putin. And he was able to do all of that. Now, he went on a little bit and he basically asked President Putin straight out, do you have Comprat? You just heard him information on Trump. Comprat is Russian for compromising information. And uh, Putin had a few things to say about that, too, which, again, it's almost shocking how commonsensical he is. Um, it, it really is. If it wasn't coming through a translator, it would be that even much more shocking, I think. Uh, so it's number two. And the second part of the answer is whether we have something on them. We don't have anything on them, and there can be anything on them. I don't want to insult President Trump when I say this, and I may come, come as rude. But before he announced that he will run for presidency, he was of no interest for us. <laughs> He's a, he was a rich person, but, well, there's plenty of rich persons in the United States. He was in the construction business. He organized the beauty pageants. But no, it would never occur to anyone that he would think of running for president. He never mentioned his political ambitions. It sounds like it's another nonsense. I just mentioned this in the press conference. St. Petersburg Economic Forum was visited by 500 businessmen. Well, pretty much every one of them is a major industrialist, a tycoon, of greater scale than President Trump. Do you think that our special services actually organize surveillance on each and every of them? Well, unlike you, unlike the United States, we don't do this. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough manpower to organize the total state of control. That's not part of our plans. And it's clear that we did nothing of that kind against Mr. Trump. Such a pointed jab. So he so first of all, you know, facts and evidence, Putin follows American politics and he follows all factions of it. He is aware that libertarians and a huge faction of the conservative side actually see our government as too surveilling of American citizens. They collect too much information. They store too much data. They have too much of a grip on 
how many times you texted your husband last year and all the metadata and where you were when you texted him. All that stuff is disconcerting to Americans and we feel it's unconstitutional. Whether they keep authorizing the Patriot Act through, the, through, through Congress is irrelevant to whether or not storing that much data on Americans without a warrant is constitutional. And Putin is aware of that. So what did he just say? Um, unlike your government, shade, shade brigade. I mean, come on. He just went there. Unlike your government, we lack the manpower and resources to surveil everybody. You guys have lots of rich people in America. Donald Trump was in construction and he managed the beauty pageants, which was a dig. (laughs) I mean, come on. He's sitting there insulting old Donald Trump from before, you know, before he was president. We didn't know he had political aspirations. It was completely a surprise to us. It was kind of out of left field. And, oh, we don't surveil everybody who comes into our country. And so 500 industrialist tycoons come to Russia for a conference. And many of them, most of them are richer than Donald Trump. They come from America where y'all got rich people hanging off trees there. And we were supposed to do what? Collect information on all of them? Which to me, I mean, you know, I got no proof. But it just, when I'm listening to that, I hear, we thought about it. We looked into it, but we didn't have the manpower resources. And this a bunch of rich dudes meeting. We didn't really think there was be much for us to get. In other words, if he's not a politician, why would we put special services on him to surveil him for what? Like, what, what will we get out of that? But a waste of our time. We have bigger fish to fry. We have other people to follow that are really consequential, like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so I just was like. I'm listening to it. And again, no love. I don't think Putin's awesome. I'm not a fan. Please don't start sending me messages about how, you know, I've served this country. I do not believe in Putin. He's not, he's not cool. Um, But I got to say, old boy knows how to slide the digs in. He knows how to insult and to get at the point, to make the, the point that the same people who are really, really, really hoping that there are these horrible, that the dossier that was created by Christopher Steele, that it's actually factual, that there are these, you know, hotel incidences with the president. They hope that that's true. They hope that they can get copies of those tapes or some kind of validation of those tapes. And and barring actual evidence, they'll just keep talking about the tapes as if they're real. They've already introduced them into the public psyche as verified fact, when in fact, it's nothing but hearsay. And they want that. But they didn't want anything. They didn't want to know anything about the 500. Uh, what was it? It was 500, $250,000 and $500,000. So Hillary Clinton was paid a quarter of a million for a speech in Russia. Uh, Bill Clinton was paid 500000 for one speech. Um, and then they also had m- multiple millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars funneled. It appeared to come from Russia, but it was really Putin asserts in the same press conference, he asserted that that uh, the money came from the U.S. and some of our intelligence apparatus ran the money through Russia to get it back to Hillary Clinton. He said he wanted to investigate that. So here's what we know. After they met for two hours and they came together for this press conference, Donald Trump and, you know, Vladimir Putin stood at the podium and they invited Mueller to come over to Russia and interview all of the people who are named in the indictment and to then, after that, investigate with the help of the Russians to see if there's any, anything that went wrong. To Basically, the indictment, to prove the indictment, to investigate in Russia. The other thing that he said that he would do is he would be open to our intelligence services and, and Mueller and his team Going through the extradition process, because we have extradition agreements with Russia and the United States, if we have someone in our country who's murdered people in Russia and they run home to the United States, they cannot escape the long arm of justice from Russia by doing so. We have an extradition treaty with them, meaning if we have people who've done crimes and they're American citizens, your American citizenship and your passport do not protect you from being extradited to Russia for prosecution and possibly, you know... (sighs) whatever they jail time, whatever, like, so we have an extradition treaty with them. So 
I've been saying it here on the show. There's no way these Russians come to the United States and allow themselves to be prosecuted. No, they won't come of their own will. But if our government goes through the process of applying for extradition and they meet the qualifications and whatever those are, then the Russians, according to the treaty that they have signed with us that is in effect, will extradite people to be tried here in the United States. So it is absolutely possible that if they were able to prove their case to the Russian government and follow the process, these people could be tried. Putin said this from the podium. So now that I've shared that with you and the fact that he pointedly asserted that they want to investigate how money came from the United States through Russia and back to the Hillary Clinton uh, foundation, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. Now that we know that, uh, now do we understand why everybody's so mad and why I'm over here giggling? I mean, the media is upset because he jabbed not just the media. He jabbed our American intelligence apparatus for all of the spying that they do on Americans for the manpower we devote to that. He finds that comical. Now, admittedly, he doesn't have the manpower or the money or the resources, his government. He doesn't have enough people to do it himself. So he might be just throwing shade because he can't do it. You know how it is. You see somebody doing something awesome. And instead of going, wow, that's awesome. You go, yeah, she ain't doing anything. You do that because you know good and well she is doing something, but you just can't do it. How about it's, it's a little bit of that because goodness knows if Putin could amass the manpower and resources to surveil anyone he wanted to, he would be doing that instead of sitting up talking to Chris Wallace any day. He would much prefer to have that kind of power. He doesn't have it, so he pokes fun at it. But he also pokes fun at it because he knows Hundreds of millions of Americans, you know, maybe 90 million Americans. I don't know how many million Americans, but a significant number of Americans absolutely do not like our intelligence apparatus spying on us. Reading all of our emails. Like, I am the least likely person to commit an act of terror. Why do they need to read my emails? Why do they need to look over my metadata and know where I was when I texted my husband and said, what else do we need from the store? I don't see anything on the wonder list. I'm at the gas station and I'm going to stop by the schnooks. Why would they need to know that? Come on now. Why would, why? Because they can. Okay. You know, there's a lot of things we can do. It may be that you can do it, but is it expedient or is it a waste of time? Is it part of the reason why our government has now been found numerous occasions to have known about potential terror acts and not been able to stop it? Because they're too busy sitting up looking at all the little naked pictures that some of y'all be sending around. That's what's going on here. So Putin's mocking it. And he should. You know what I mean? You can recognize game when you see it. He should mock the American intelligence apparatus for looking at all of our metadata under the guise of stopping terrorism. And I'm no libertarian, but I can tell you that's what Rand Paul's problem is with all of the stuff that we're doing in the government. Now, he's a non-interventionist. He's like a, you know, no war, just nobody ever fights anything. I can't get down with that. The reality is if we were a country that just would never engage in war, we would not only not be a player on the international scene, all kinds of atrocities would be going on across the globe. And it's because we are willing to go and reach our long arms in and smash dictators and remove people from this and that and, and all these little countries. That is the reason why some of these people, many of these dictators and whatnot, they hold the line. They do bad things, but they don't go ham because they know America will reach in and take care of business. I have no respect for Putin, former KGB. But I have to say, the media and the intelligence apparatus got trolled. You guys want to talk about how Donald Trump didn't present well? Okay, have that conversation. But make sure and include the others who totally got jabbed by him and they're not acknowledging it because they can't. They can't answer what he accused them of because they're guilty. We'll be back with more after this. 